Welcome to the Higher Ed Huddle, where we discuss the most relevant topics in higher ed today. I'm your host, Joe Trano. And on today's podcast, we have Jerry Waldron. Jerry is the Interim Executive Director at MDREN. This is the Maryland Research and Education Network. He most recently was the CIO at the University of Maryland Eastern Shore. He has over 30 years of experience in various leadership roles, 18 years as a CIO, and has a background in counseling. Uh, Jerry, welcome back. I'm excited to have you again on this podcast episode. How have you been? Been okay. Yeah, so you're just kind of uh, going from one tumultuous period of uh, higher education to another. <laughs> it seems like <laughs> post post COVID, and now it's uh, you know uh, broadband expansion and uh, ERP and all kinds of other stuff going on. Never a dull moment, as they say. Absolutely. Yeah, we uh, we last spoke three years ago this month, and I believe it was in the midst of COVID, um, right? Mm-hmm. So COVID started in March of that year. And in October, we had, what, five, six months of, uh, you know, living in a COVID world when we first spoke. And uh, it, it was a good, good podcast. And I think um, the topic was around... Um, you know, the impact of moving to having to pivot and what that looks like. Um, and uh, certainly we learned a lot. And uh, I think at that time, uh, we likely saw a pause on a lot of the bigger projects in higher ed. Um, and, you know, a, a new ERP or student information system certainly was a a project that we saw, um, you know, being paused across higher ed. Not all, but there were some. And uh, that's a topic we're going to touch on today. I think um, certainly with your your new role at MD Ren, I think there's uh, some tie back to to you know the important work that you're doing and how it relates to uh, more of these cloud based uh, solutions that we're seeing. Certainly, the modern ERP student information systems that we're seeing, um, you know, are reliant on uh, a redundant and um, you know redundant network backbone and and just being consistent. So love to hear more about that. But I think maybe first start off and give us a little bit more background on what MDREN is and how they support um, the higher ed space in Maryland. Yeah, sure. Glad to, Joe. Just before I get to that, a little bit of background. I, my, uh, I think when we talked about this three years ago, we were in the middle of a uh, pandemic and uh, I had a new appreciation uh, for uh, the backbone, the cyber infrastructure, uh, that was in place at the time, because in a period of about 48 hours, we closed our campus and had to develop a plan for everybody to work from home and everybody to go to school from home. And it was a hundred percent reliable or relying on cyber infrastructure. Um, now, you know, as, as you know, cyber infrastructure is very often kind of invisible. It's like you really don't need to know how your cable company works. You really don't need to know how your telephone company works, but boy, you really need them when you need them. And, and that's kind of what a REN is. Uh, you know, in Maryland, the Maryland Research and Education Network, uh, provides uh, cyber infrastructure, which is essentially internet connectivity to 25 colleges and universities in the state of Maryland. That's not a huge number, 
but it's pretty much everybody, uh, at least as the four-year schools, number of the two-year two-year schools, uh, some of the privates, and so forth. So uh, we're really uh, the carrier, if you will. Uh, if you think about, you know, I mentioned a Comcast or a, a T-Mobile or somebody, depending on Verizon, depending on which side of the part of the country you live in. Uh, that's kind of what we do, but we're specific to colleges and universities. Now you say, well, why wouldn't somebody use one of those commercial services? Some do. Um, the difference in our case is that we are totally redundant. Um, so that keeps our, our uptime is 99.999, uh, percent of the time. Uh, so that's something that we do that maybe a commercial provider would not do unless you paid a lot of money for it. Um, we also can expand our network. Uh, colleges and universities use quite a bit of, of internet service, ISP service. And I know you've been on a lot of college campuses. And if you see, you know, any college campuses that has students living on campus uses a lot of internet. Um, Typically in Maryland, we provide 10 gig connections. That's 10 gigabits per second, uh, to a college or university. Uh, we can go up to a hundred and we are in the process of upgrading to be able to go up to 400. So we, we have seen expansion, uh, in use as the internet of things, as uh, gaming as, as distance learning, as ERP, which we'll talk about, uh, have really, uh, moved to a cyber infrastructure platform. That, that's really where we come in. You know, it, it's, I, I've been brought in. I'm the interim director. I kind of stepped in uh, after my last gig as a CIO, as you mentioned, at the University of Maryland Eastern Shore. Um, and it's been exciting because after I left, UMES, I was also still working on their workday project. So, and there are seven different campuses in Maryland that are, that are doing workday. Uh, there are two that are doing, um, Oracle, uh, somewhere in the process. Uh, so, uh, I've kind of kept my toe in those project, in those projects to, to a certain extent. But, I, you know, most of what we do is provide the infrastructure. There are for, there are 40 different research and education networks in the United States. Uh, pretty much every state has them. Some of them provide service to just higher ed. Some of them provide service to government, to K-12, uh, that kind of thing. So we're, we're seeing also, in addition to providing service in, in an ISP type, type of sense, we're also seeing an increased need to support researchers. Um, you know, research is not just for the big schools anymore. Uh, and researchers at smaller schools, rural institutions, uh, underserved, uh, underfunded institutions need to have access. And, and that's where cyber infrastructure and the related support comes in. So lo long description. So I, I still got my toe in and, and it's another, it's another sort of exciting, uh, perspective beyond the CIO world that I've been in for so many years. Yeah. I appreciate that. I, there were some facts in there that I, wasn't aware of. So I, I appreciate that very much. And as you know, when I worked in uh, one of the Maryland institutions, we were, um, you know, considering uh, moving to MD-REN, which I think we eventually did. So that, that certainly was a choice for us as an institution. I think pricing was a little bit better at the time as well. So I don't know if that's still the case 
with MD Ren versus a Comcast or other service providers, but certainly cost was uh, a factor for us at the time. Yeah, um, I think, you know, a, one more little thing on that. I think one of the things that makes us attractive to other uh, to colleges and universities in our state is that we not only provide a network of networks, we provide a network of people. Um, and so, you know, we meet on a monthly basis with network engineers and CIOs around the state. We talk about what they're doing, what we can do, what we'd like to do, what they need someone to help them do, that kind of thing. And, and you can imagine if you were talking to a commercial provider, they, they provide what they provide. They're not in the education business. We are definitely in the education business and, and a part of the education community. So I, I hope that that provides even another level of attractiveness, uh, because we are a network of people and we understand and we understand higher ed. Yep. Yep. That's true. I think that certainly understanding, um, how institutions are using, um, you know, using the infrastructure, the importance of the uptime and reliability, um, and also looking for, you know, new creative ways to provide services to the institutions, I think, is is a positive for uh, RENS, um, not just Maryland, but other states as well. I think yeah, there's, I think you know, um, there there's, I think, you know, certainly in, in large associated uh, groups, um, there's, you know, the best thinking that really bubbles to the top. And I think that's certainly the case for MD Ren as well. You know, what, one link to what we're doing and, and what's going on in these ERP projects in Maryland is that uh, they're both either, you know, MD Ren is essentially a shared service. Um, and the workday projects that are underway are, are also going to be a shared service. And I can explain that a little bit, but it's, uh, there is a movement in our state and I think uh, in certain states around the country to move to a, at least a partially shared service model, uh, because there's just a lot of things happening. As you know, uh, you know, we're looking to be more efficient. We're looking to save money. Uh, lately, it's really hard to find the quality tech people that you need, uh, whether it be a database administrator, developer, um, whatever. So we're, we're all looking at shared services to improve what we're doing in the best possible way, um, regardless of whether you're a large public institution or a small private. Uh, so, uh, you know, the, these, you know, were the shared services model is a topic for CFOs and chancellors and presidents, uh, more than it ever has been. That's a really good, uh, that's a valid point. And we're certainly seeing a lot more interest in the shared services space, um, specifically on the cybersecurity side, um, and data governance and data management. We're seeing a lot of interest in, in shared services, or at least collaboratively working together um, uh, on a common set of standards and processes to be more efficient and effective in reporting, uh, and really just increasing the level of maturity when it comes to these topics. So, well, do you want to dive into the ERP piece of our conversation? I think Certainly, you've set a, a good baseline, good foundation of understanding of 
MD RAN and really what it provides to the institutions uh, across the state of Maryland. Um, you know, we we identified the topic of um, you know moving to a new ERP solution, and that includes a student information system too. And I, I'm curious, what are some of the technical drivers that really push institutions to go down this down this path? Well, what are your thoughts around that? Yeah, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, pull up my most recent experience as a as a CIO at the University of Maryland Eastern Shore, but it's generalizable to pretty much any institution out there at this point. Uh, you know, pre-pandemic, uh, a lot of schools were looking at the next generation of ERP. Uh, I was uh, the project lead uh, at a previous institution, Salisbury University, also here in Maryland. 20 years ago. And um, that was a huge leap for us. We, we went from legacy to uh, the web, you know, and, and all of a sudden, you know, I, I used to tell people we, we could, uh, you know, we had 75 to 100 daily users in our legacy system. And all of a sudden that went to 7,000 in 24 hours uh, back in, in uh, 2002, 2003. Uh, and that, you know, that was pretty amazing from a technical point of view. It was very challenging because you were building uh, infrastructure on your campus. Everybody was at that point. Um, and if you weren't taking your ERP to the to uh, the web at, at that point in time, um, you know, you you were in a pretty deep hole. Um, so you, you found, uh, you know, a lot of players, uh, industrial or, or corporate players getting into that space. We happen to be a people soft school at that time. Uh, and, uh, it was great in terms of transformation. Uh, the technology changed very little though in the next 20 years. Um, you know, there were some improvements. Uh, but if you looked at the system in 2003 and then you looked at it again in 2023, uh, they look pretty similar. They had a few bells and whistles that we didn't have at the beginning, but it looked the same. Uh, I think from, in terms of technical drivers, uh, things changed a lot. You know, as I, I mentioned to you before the call, uh, I was CIO at the College of New Jersey during Superstorm Sandy. And um, we were without power for about a week. We were running our ERP from campus. So essentially we were out of business. Uh, and, um, you know, we pulled through, thankfully, and, and, uh, I think the public was very understanding. Uh, we did spend a lot of effort to communicate with them, but we were down. Um, and parts of our network on campus were down too. Uh, and so that, that, you know, at the time, you know, people lived through it. Now it's less and less acceptable. Uh, disaster recovery and business continuity. Uh, are, are things that keep a CIO up at night because you know you're never supposed to be down. So moving to the cloud, which is the next step. I mentioned moving to the web. Now it's moving to the cloud, but it's for a lot of different reasons. Disaster recovery, business continuity. Uh, one of the big challenges, uh, is finding, uh, technical, uh, professionals, uh, to be a part of your team, depending on where you live. Uh, it could be really, really hard uh, finding a database administrator, skilled developers, uh, those kinds of folks that are, are just really hard to find these days. And if you're at a small, smaller rural campus, it's very hard. Uh, so that's a technical driver, I think, as well. 
uh, role-based security. You know, when we set up these system years ago it was, uh, uh, Joe Trano needs access to this and this and this, and we set him up for it. Well, that really wasn't gonna, wasn't, it seemed like a, like a good idea at the time. But when you look at it now, it's, well, we really needed to say, you know, Joe Trano is the registrar and the registrar needs access to whatever so that if Joe leaves, the new registrar comes in and can be plugged right into his role. Uh, and so we can manage it and we can combine roles and those kind of things. The, the systems that were built years ago, um, they just weren't thinking in that in that way. Um, so that's something that we need to. We also need to integrate with third-party systems. During COVID, we were adding two or three third-party products a month. And that that's a lot of products. And most of them were in the student services space. Everything from counseling to uh, procurement to managing your, your billing, managing your career, managing your classes. Uh, you know, just all kinds of different third party activities that were going on. Every one of those things is currently in the cloud. They're all add ons, bolt ons, if you will, to your ERP, but they all need to be integrated and that all needs to be managed. So that's a, that's a big challenge as well. Those third party tools are in the cloud, but we're not. Uh, and that's true of most institutions in the country right now. Uh, and we need to minimize the impact of upgrades and updates. Uh, you know, if you've been around this space and I know you have for a long time, the, it, it's, it's a constant process of updating and upgrading your ERP, uh, regardless of who you use it. And, and you would expect so because your institution has made changes to customize it to do what you want it to do. Uh, the, uh, the government, federal government, particularly in financial aid and some other areas, uh, you know, changes regularly. Uh, so you're constantly updating and maintaining. And again, go back to the, to the, what I said a minute ago about DBAs and skilled developers. You know, if you don't have them, you can't do the upgrades and the updates. So we need to become less dependent on our on-campus technical staff. Um, and I think that's something that um, that all CIOs are are coping with at this point. And I think those are the technical drivers that really have been pushing CIOs. Now, most of the things I just mentioned are probably less critical if you are the registrar, if you are the dean of enrollment management, because they all are sort of behind the curtain. Um, but they're all they're all real technical drivers. Yeah, that's interesting. You mentioned uh, the third-party products, and we've seen um, we've seen institutions now struggling to um, really effectively manage the data that these third-party products are generating, um, and the lack of coordination. Um, just imagine all the different types of data now that these these products are generating, or from a reporting standpoint, reporting different metrics. Um, and so we're seeing a big challenge uh, with institutions that have gone in, in that direction, and now they're going in the opposite direction, really looking for consolidation, especially around data and really getting a handle on the data. Because uh, you were right, it, it happened so fast. You know, everyone was moving to a hybrid or a, a work from home, I guess, for the first number of months working from home. And so having access to, um, you know, to tools to be able to do their jobs was really 
probably the the most important factor at that time. And so uh, those those products were in hot demand for sure. Um, but you know those needed to be implemented quickly and didn't have time really to kind of walk through the process of how the data is going to be managed, what that means to existing processes. And so, uh, you know, we're, we're reeling with that today. Um, I'm interested. So I, I, I liked what you shared about the technical drivers and they all make sense, right? Um, what about the user experience? Um, is that a driver at, at, at all? Is, is that something that institutions are considering? Is that a, a big factor um, in being a driver? Yeah, I mean, user experience is both a technical driver and probably an end user uh, customer experience driver. You know, I mentioned a lot of these tools uh, that we're using were built 20 years ago when just having them available on the web was was just amazing. They were a little clunky, they were a little cryptic, and they still are. Uh, and I think what's changed is that back then, uh, people were just happy to have access. Now we live in a, you know, an Amazon generation. We, you know, we're used to being able to see things, buy things, peruse things, interface with a product at a, at a very clean customer level. And, and, you, you know, I know all of us, if we go to a website to buy something and it's clunky, we go somewhere else. Uh, and, and I think colleges and universities are seeing the same thing. You know, their faculty are, not happy with the interface. It's too challenging. It's, uh, and, and in fact, it is, uh, students, students come in with a different expectation as well. Um, so that's both a technical driver and a, uh, an end user driver. One thing that you just reminded me of, which we could, we could circle back to, but you were talking about data and, uh, data security. Uh, I didn't mention that, but I should have, uh, Again, imagine all this data being stored on campus. And, um, you know, I can tell you in my work right now with cyber infrastructure, we've dealt with seven different universities in Maryland that have had denial of service attacks in the last year. Uh, and that, you know, those of you who don't know what that is, essentially the university is being bombarded with requests to the point where the network can't, can't respond. And so it essentially it's shut down. Um, now we can mitigate that at the, at the middle mile, which is what we do as a RAN. But that's another risk. If that data, plus colleges and universities, you know, they get audited. They have security officers and processes, uh, registrars, even though they're, it's an end user driver for them because, you know, they have requirements for data security, obviously, and student data as well as financial data and human resource data and, um, uh, it's got to be protected and the requirements are getting harder and harder and harder to meet. So moving to the cloud, I think will be, um, we hoping, we're hoping that that will, that will push a little bit of the responsibility off to the vendor and off of us. Uh, we'll see how that goes. But, uh, <laughs> you know, some of the other things that, you know, from an end user perspective, um, it certainly the, the, uh, you know, they were looking for, uh, more consistent branding between all these different products that students are using. They're looking for an, intu an intuitive uh, user interface. They're also looking for some workflow design, and that ties in with the user experience. A lot of the, the activities that a student does now, whether it be admission, financial aid, registration, whatever it is, 
Um, there's no workflow connection. I mean, they're basically unique, discrete activities. And um, people aren't used to that. Again, when you, you have the Amazon experience, uh, click this, click this, click this, and it walks you through in a very logical way. The, the systems built years ago didn't do that. You know, they were much more discrete. So, and you mentioned reporting as well. Uh, reporting from multiple sources is next to impossible. Uh, a lot of the reporting tools, if they were even uh, delivered back in the day, uh, there were very cryptic and very difficult for end users to make use of. So they would have to rely on IT and uh, to write these reports. And, um, you know, it's takes time. Uh, you know, it, it, uh, we need to empower, uh, students. We need to empower faculty. We need to empower offices to handle more of that type of activity to their own benefit. Yeah. Um, that's important. And, uh, you know, as I think about, you know, from the perspective of a CIO, if they're, institution is, you know, having conversations about uh, transitioning to a more modern ERP. Um, it's not, it's not an IT project. It's, it's more of a uh, organizational project that, um, you know, requires um, stakeholder input, um, certainly buy-in from leadership across the board. Um, what are some important considerations from your perspective um, to think about uh, as, as a CIO? you know, facing this from an institutional standpoint, what are some of the things the CIO uh, should consider? Um, Maybe it's questions that they should consider asking the broader group or just uh, considerations that a CIO should bring to the table in those conversations. Do you have some some thoughts there? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, (laughs) You know, uh, as I say, most recently I I was working, uh, I was really the lead on the Workday project at my last institution. And I would, that'll be a shared tenant, uh, situation with, with, uh, the University of Maryland College Park, which is, uh, obviously the flagship, mm-hmm. uh, of the system. And, you know, there's good things and there are bad things about that. The good things are that they, they do a lot of the heavy lifting. The bad things are you have to do it their way. Uh, and, uh, and I, no, no shot at College Park if they're listening, but, uh, you know, cause I really do appreciate, uh, every day all the work that they did on this. So, uh, but I, I think, you know, the, these projects, even for a small school can cost 10 million, 20 million, 30, 40 million at a big school. It could be a hundred million dollars. Um, and, you know, it, we talked about the technical drivers. We talked about the end user drivers. Uh, basically, you know, the institutions, feel strongly that they need to do something different. Uh, but quite honestly, they don't, my experience has been that they don't really write down what they're looking to get out of it. It's more of a feeling than it is a, a list of requirements. Um, and so what ends up happening is they, they look at the, at the shiny new system, uh, whether it be a delivered system or PowerPoints so of it's going to look like this kind of thing. Uh, and a lot of the the the, stu- the student projects or products in particular are, stu- are currently under development. They're not even 100% done yet, uh, but they look good. They they look good, and and they're certainly in the direction that the schools want to go. Uh, but 
I guess what I would tell a CIO at this point is to slow down. Uh, before you spend your 10 million, your 20 million, your 30 million, whatever it is you're going to spend, uh, you know, make sure that you understand what you are looking to get out of it. And you, you, you really, you put your finger on a good point. These things are less and less about technology and more and more about, uh, campus transformation, the overused term digital transformation. The president always looks to the CIO, but I think that's more out of habit. Um, in fact, uh, the, the person who's spearheading a project like this on a campus uh, doesn't need to be the CIO. It needs to be someone that has a clear uh, understanding of what they want to get out of it. Um, you're not going to be handling the technology on your campus anyway. It's going to be handled in the cloud. Your relationship with the product is going to be different. You're not going to be modifying it. Uh, you're, you're, you're going to be using a, a shared uh, product with lots and lots of other institutions. And, and if, you know, by that, I mean that there's a single code line with whether it's Oracle, Workday, whatever it is, and they're maintaining it for you. And that's got a tremendous upside. Uh, but the downside is you can't go in and tinker with it like your old jalopy. You, you have to, you have to let them do it. So it, it's really about transformation. And I, and I really wish colleges and universities uh, would take a little more time up front. Uh, it's frustrating to, to them, I know, to slow the process. They want a quick fix, uh, but they have, they're going to spend this kind of money and this type of effort. It's a huge, even with a consultant, it is a huge effort for a campus. Uh, they need to assess uh, whether or not they have the right skills in the functional areas to pull this off. Uh, they also need to literally walk through how they want that workflow to work, how they want uh, the student experience, the faculty experience, uh, how they want that to uh, to really come across when it's all done. So that, you know, we, in, in coursework as students, we, you know, we learned that you should you should follow that type of a model and you should come back at the end and say, hey, did we meet our goals? Uh, too often with these projects, I see colleges and universities they start off thinking about digital transformation and all how great it's going to be. And they get halfway through the project and their goal changes. Now they just want it to be over. Uh, they just want to be live. Uh, and, and I think, you know, that's, that's unfortunate because the effort from a financial point of view and from a staff point of view is gigantic. So my advice to a CIO would be to sit down with a vendor agnostic partner before you even start looking at demos and start thinking about, okay, we want digital transformation. Let's define that for our school. I mean, it's a generic term. What does it mean for our school? Uh, and, and you don't just talk to, certainly don't just talk to IT people. They probably are maybe the last people you talk to. You, you, it's about the experience. You want to talk to students, faculty, staff, mm -hmm. uh, administrators, and really find out, you know, do a whiteboard. What, what do you really want out of this? Uh, and once you've done that, and, it, and that's not an overnight thing, uh, then you start looking at, okay, who has a, a solution that's closest to this? And you have, you have a yardstick to use. You're not just focused on a sales pitch or, you know, satisfied customers list or that kind of thing. This is probably the biggest single 
project a CIO or a campus does in their career. And it's a strong statement, but it it is true. Um, there's not much you can do that would be more impactful than um, switching to a new student system uh, on a college campus. Obviously, that's not the only product. We have human resources, we have finance, but those affect far fewer people. It's really about the students and about the faculty. So that that that's kind of my pitch for you know where <laughs> uh, wh- where I wish schools would come from. But I, again, I've talked to the CIOs. I talk to them regularly. All good friends of mine here in Maryland, and they're moving very quickly. They have day jobs. Uh, this is something that they feel that they need to do, and they're moving. Um, and I just wish, not just in Maryland, but in other places as well that they take time and uh, make sure that they know what they want. And one, one last thing is, is I, I see, uh, you know, I, I, I just see, you know, I, I mentioned briefly the, the readiness of the campus and the campus staff. Uh, a lot of times you're going to find that there's a, a, if you're lucky, a one or two people in a functional office that are really up to this project and are really ready to take a lead role. Uh, and, um, you know, if they're involved in the project, how's the office going to run? You know, who, who, who's going to pick up the slack there? Do you have a dedicated project team versus a, uh, in addition to your daily work type of activity? Uh, dedicated project teams, I think are best, but they're also very expensive and very time consuming. So anyway, lots to think about when you're going into this. And I, I think there's such a rush to, to, to tackle the change that uh, campuses maybe move a little too fast, in my view. Um, I think that's some really good advice, Jerry. Um, And I think about um, how many times we hear about delays with ERP implementations, and a lot of it's driven by um, not, you know, maybe moving too fast. Um, So I, I, as a previous CIO, I can greatly appreciate that. And uh, I, I like I like the advice and considerations that you shared. Believe it or not, we're out of time, Jerry. So <laughs> I want to thank you. <laughs> I want to thank you again for joining me today and sharing your insights uh, on the drivers of ERP transitions and um, specifically the considerations for CIOs that are you know at at institutions that are considering this change. So thank you very much. I appreciate that. Yeah, well, I'm I'm happy to to chat and to you know to kind of express some of these thoughts. And uh, if any of your clients uh, want to get together, either in a small group to kind of chat more about this, or or some of your you know your staff or your team, uh, I'm happy to do it. I think uh, I think the more conversations, the better. Before you start going down the road of uh, a project like this, the better. Know what you're getting into. Know what you want. Uh, and and you'll have a much better experience on the backside. Yeah, thank you, Jerry. Appreciate it. Um, well, you can find our podcast on SoundCloud, Google, and Apple iTunes. Check back next month for another great topic and a great guest. Until then, stay well.